Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Good morning, everyone. Yes, this is special coverage. A call in on WNYC this hour for the day after Joe Biden was declared the winner of the presidential election and the day after he and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris gave their victory speeches. Let's center these folks to start out. Madam Vice President-elect. To the poll workers and election officials across our country, who have worked tirelessly to make sure every vote is counted. Our nation owes you a debt of gratitude. You have protected the integrity of our democracy. And yes, we are giving the first nod this hour to the poll workers who did show up, in fact are showing up in person still to count the votes. During a pandemic all over the country, we'll hear more from the speeches last night as we go. And good morning, everyone. I'm Brian Lehrer with WNYC legal editor and race and justice editor, Jamie Floyd. Good morning, Jamie. Hello. And listeners, I want to ask Jamie something about those poll workers in a minute. But I want to invite you to call in. So listeners, if you were out celebrating last night with distancing and good masks on, I hope, Call in and describe your mix of emotions from exhilaration to ambivalence to relief. Was this just sort of the great exhale for those of you who've had such strong reactions to the Trump years? 646-435-7280 is our phone number. 646-435-7280. Anyone who has lost a loved one to COVID or to anything else? Are you feeling anything with an apparent president-elect who is comfortable with the language of loss, the verbal language of loss, and maybe more fundamentally, the actual emotional language of loss? And Trump supporters, you can call in too. How did Biden do last night, and we'll hear some of these clips, in his first attempt after the election was called at reaching out? What, if anything, could he do to help reduce our tribal polarization in your eyes, 646-435-7280. We know Trump voters are often motivated by fear as well as anti-Trump voters are. Did Biden make you any less scared last night? And acknowledging that the election is not really over until the court challenges are resolved one way or another, does anyone think there really could be that much election fraud as to reverse these daunting numbers. No one has alleged anything like that so far, certainly not at any scale. Or Republicans, any other feeling you're having from that side of the aisle? Independence, too, at 646-435-7280. You can also tweet, tweet at me, at Brian Lehrer. Or call 646-435-7280. And as people's calls are coming in, here's another clip of the vice president-elect after thanking the poll workers. She also thanked others over the course of American history. Black women. Asian, white, Latina, Native American women who throughout our nation's history have paved the way for this moment tonight. Women who fought and sacrificed so much for equality, 
and liberty and justice for all, including the black women who are often too often overlooked, but so often prove they are the backbone of our democracy. All the women who have worked to secure and protect the right to vote for over a century, 100 years ago with the 19th Amendment, 55 years ago with the Voting Rights Act, and now in 2020 with a new generation of women in our country who cast their ballots and continued the fight for their fundamental right to vote and be heard. Tonight, I reflect on their struggle, their determination, and the strength of their vision to see what can be unburdened by what has been. And I stand on their shoulders. And I stand on their shoulders with the crowd cheering and honking those Biden car rallies and now Biden-Harris victory speech rally with the cars, these parking lot rallies. They're so funny to hear all uh, a little bit of cheering, but a lot of horns honking. Uh, it's such a unique thing, sad, but unique and kind of funny in its way, right, in, in the context of American history. And if the vice president-elect thanked many over the course of American history there on whose shoulders she stands, she thanked many from over the course of just the last four years, too. For four years, you marched and organized for equality and justice for our lives and for our planet. And then you voted. And you delivered a clear message. You chose hope and unity, decency, science, and yes, truth. You chose Joe Biden as the next president of the United States of America. All right. First clips go to Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. We'll play President-elect Joe Biden as we go. And Jamie Floyd, um, maybe you want to start by reflecting on just this particular fact of the moment, the historic moment that we are sitting here saying Vice President-elect to refer to a woman and a woman of color at that. Yes, we are. Yes, we can. Uh, I would say to you, good morning, Brian. Uh, we've been together for many years, and I don't know that I would have ever predicted this moment, despite what I believe is my optimism for our democracy. So it is a good morning indeed. Uh, and that's not a partisan statement. That's a statement about possibility in the United States. And I would say that Kamala Harris is a symbol of our democracy, a symbol of our interracial democracy, which I believe, I've said this before on your air, the interracial nature of our democracy is our strength. Uh, it's also our strength that we are a nation of immigrants. She's a symbol of that. We are, yes, of course, Brian, a nation founded by white Christians, and there is nothing to be ashamed of in that, but also founded by African Americans. 
And notably, let's not forget our native people who were here first here in New York, the Lenape people, uh, also the five tribes. Uh, in parts of our country farther afield of New York. The Choctaw, my own great-grandmother's ancestry. We even had one vice president, Brian, who was a Native American. Uh, Forgotten. Uh, We don't talk enough about that in our history. So our strength, Brian, is in that multiracial, multicultural BIPOC history, as we now say. And Kamala Harris represents all of that. And, of course, as you say, Brian, the leadership of black women, Sojourner Truth, Constance Baker Motley, Barbara Jordan, Shirley Chisholm, here in New York, names we don't say enough. These are the women who have led us to this moment. And Kamala Harris, as we've just heard, invoked all of them in her speech last night. And as she invoked poll workers, I think we have one calling in. Gregory in Harlem, you're on WNYC. Good morning. Oh, good morning, Brian. Love you, love you. And I'm, oh my God, I'm so glad to be on the air with um, uh, Jamie, too. Hey, listen, guys. I work as a poll worker, ironically, so let's drop another name at the Harriet Tubman PS-154 here in Harlem. And Thank I you for that. Perennially. Thank you for that <laughs> name and for your service. And, and listen, it is always a pleasure. Um, I'm a, a man of a certain age, but I still am able to get around. And as an accessibility clerk here in Harlem, there are many, many people with uh, mobile issues, and, and it is always a pleasure for them to see me and for me to see them year after year, election after election. And this one was most joyous indeed. So um, I, I, I appreciate your work and, and uh, Miss Jamie Floyd. Oh, my God, you are just a human being. Um, I thank you for everything you've done and all you've taught me, both of you guys. Thank you. Have a great day. Gregory, thank you so much. Heather in Brooklyn, you're on WNYC. Hi, Heather. Hi, Brian. I just want to say any chance I get that you are a national treasure, and I believe the same for Jamie Floyd. So thank you for your show and everything you do. Um, I live in Prospect Heights, and so I joined the party at Grand Army Plaza yesterday, and it was just a block party. It was, you know, this horn band, I think called Shaghorns. They were just playing under the arch, and it couldn't have felt more symbolic being under that victory arch that stood for, you know, the battle of the Civil War. And um, all races, all sizes, shapes, ages were just together, um, unified and celebratory. And um, so special that it was just a lovely, warm, sunny day as well. And, I, you know, I think it's truth seekers. I just want to emphasize that the truth has prevailed, and I think we will all be just better off as an entire country and community um, because of that, because of Biden-Harris. Heather, thank you very much. Harry in Brooklyn, you're on WNYC. Hello, Harry. Hi. Um, This is my first time I ever called this program. I just want to let you know that I adore you guys, um, and I always enjoy listening to you, and here's a surprise. I'm a Republican here. My wife and I enjoy you guys. Um, And I I will say that I voted for Trump, but on the silent minority majority i wanted to concede the victory to you guys i don't want any more rancor any fights any any anything any any divisions whatsoever what i do wanted to ask was as i look at the hopes and expectations of everybody in this celebration that you fully have what could be expected when you say well there are concerns that i have given the 
lack of blue wave, that the Senate could very well be in control by the Republicans, that people like AOC making statements, well, we got to get those people uh, on the Trump side. We got to get after them. I mean, I'm misquoting perhaps, but these are concerns that a person who sincerely is reaching out to you guys on the other side of the aisle saying, hey, let's get along together here. Let's make progress. Let's make a commitment to peace and lack of rancor and get along. I just wanted to know what your thoughts were. Harry, thank you for that. And yeah, and and uh, as you say, reaching out to you guys. By that, I will take that to mean reaching out to the Democrats. Uh, and, and Harry and Jamie, we, we've seen it already in the last 24 hours in the media, how even in victory, the Democratic Party is a politically diverse party. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both parties have that whenever they want to be a big tent party. And we've seen Democratic Congresswoman Spanberger from Virginia yes. saying they lost seats in the House uh, because of phrases like defund the police and socialism and socialist. And she doesn't want to, she even uh, dropped an F-bomb in the quote <laughs> that I heard and saying, yeah. I don't want to ever hear my fellow Democrats uh, use that effing word again, something like that, mm-hmm. to refer to socialist mm-hmm. and socialism. Um, and then we saw, I saw AOC on State of the Union on CNN this morning mm-hmm. saying, no, 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 it wasn't about that. And nobody ran on defund the police and nobody ran on socialism. Mm-hmm. Um, there, you know, there are other issues. But if Joe Biden is going to try to bring everybody together, he's got a tall order. He's got a tall order to keep people like Harry, who says he voted for uh, Trump, but is reaching out and ready to give Biden a chance to unify the country, uh, to try to put pull him into the tent, and at the same time, from the left to the center-left or center-right or whatever we want to call yeah. it, of the Democratic Party. Yeah, we are going to, I want Harry to know, have uh, Arun Venegapal tomorrow uh, digging in more deeply to the conversation that, to which you just referred, Brian, uh, that happened up on Capitol Hill with Representative Spanberger, Abigail Spanberger of Virginia, and what are reportedly divisions within the Democratic Party. There are, of course, also divisions within the Republican Party. Uh, and I won't belabor it. I'll just commend to you Arun Venegapal's piece. It will run on Morning Edition tomorrow, and perhaps also on All Things Considered, about uh, the shadow of socialism within the party. Uh, But I will simply say uh, that George Washington warned about this two-party system, quote, there is nothing which I dread so much as a division of the republic into two great parties, each arranged under its leader and concerting measures in opposition to each other. And this was his great fear that the party system, the two-party system, would become sort of this intractable force uh, that would divide us. And, you know, multi-party systems seem to be more efficient and less rancorous. So Joe Biden, certainly, Harry, has his hands full. And I'll just leave it at that for now. Now, Brian, you and I will have many opportunities to dissect Harry's point going forward. And Harry, thank you for that. And keep calling us going forward. Uh, Let us know periodically on my usual show or whatever other venue um, how Biden is doing in your eyes. Deborah in Westchester, you're on WNYC. Hi, Deborah. Hi, good morning. Um, so it was, uh, first of all, let me say I love you and Jamie so very much. And um, it is your voices that got me through the last four years. Um, 
I, uh, I, I feel elated, um, for sure. I feel um, relieved, mostly. Um, I am struggling still with family members who uh, really have dug their heels in and they voted for Trump. Um, and a lot of it was based on um, immigration. And mm-hmm. my father is an immigrant, was an immigrant. Um, he survived Auschwitz. He came here through Haya. And they're my, I'm the eldest in, in a big family, and my family has always reached out to me, all my cousins and their children and the grandchildren reach out to me, asking me to tell my dad's story so that they can give their children a bit of Jewish history. And the history that they never seem to tell um, or let me share really in detail is the fact that my dad would have been very upset with their um, ideas about immigration. Um, my father was someone who came here and happily um, was, was grateful to the Americans for taking him in. And now we have a situation or we had under Trump where immigrants were, were vile. They were coming across the border in caravans. They were rapists and murderers, and they were repeating these things. And um, so I, I may almost make an appeal not just to people out there in terms of Im- immigrants, but to my family members um, that if you want my story, my history, my family's history directly from my father. Don't expect me to share with you this story that can carry them through their Judaism without leaving out the most important part, that we people must embrace others, that we must love and cherish other cultures, that we must embrace and lift and support and not judge because my father smelled when he came here. My father had life when he came here. My father suffered to come here and he was not told you vile person get out he was shown comfort and help and um that's really where i am at this point deborah i hear the passion we can all hear the passion and from your own particular family history where you're coming from it sounds like your family is divided yeah yes yes it's um um, I have a hard time breaking bread with people that won't open up their table to others. I have a hard time sharing time with people who might say things like, I have a black friend on an island in the Caribbean, and I always, when I go on vacation there with my family, I bring that friend underwear and socks, so I'm a good person. I have a hard time with that. Deborah, thank you for your call. We really appreciate it. Um, you know, Jamie... Listening to Deborah and thinking about the divisions even in her own family with their history and who she thinks should be united in how they view the world, certainly how they view immigration, which is where she was really centering her remarks. Here are some stats. I don't know if you've looked into these yet. Local stats and listeners, I don't know if you've heard these yet because the narrative has been so national. Even in New York State... 40% of voters statewide chose Donald Trump. He lost all the cities in the state, New York, Albany, Rochester, Syracuse, Buffalo. But according to the New York Times electoral map that I was looking at just last night, with about 88% of the vote counted, Trump won almost every other county in the state, including Nassau, Suffolk, and Rockland. Biden won Westchester, where that caller was from. But Trump also got 40% in New Jersey statewide, though Biden won all the counties right outside the city. Bergen, Essex, Morris, Somerset, Union, Middlesex, Monmouth, and Passaic, Biden won all of those. Um, You had to go 
out to Hunterton, Hunterton, Sussex, and Warren counties, and down the shore to Ocean County before hitting the ones that voted for Trump in New Jersey. Connecticut, for those of you who don't know, doesn't have counties, but almost every municipality between New York and New Haven voted majority Biden. So there's the greater New York City tri-state map. Mm -hmm. But we remain a divided country. Right. Even over someone seen as a, as so extreme by so many as Donald J. Trump, Nassau, Suffolk, Rockland, went for Donald J. Trump, Jamie. Yeah, and we've talked about this a lot in our newsroom, uh, Brian, because it's our responsibility as a newsroom to speak to all of our listeners, to represent all of our counties and municipalities and all of our communities and listeners, and to understand uh, all of our uh, listeners and communities and municipalities. And, you know, you know, Trump may have lost in the end, of course, uh, Brian, uh, but as you say, a lot of uh, people voted for Trump. Uh, we should say Biden, of course, has won the Electoral College and may reach, Brian, as many as, I may be even off in my numbers right now, but he may get to about 300 electoral uh, votes, 306 and more, right? Uh, he's on track to win the popular vote by uh, extreme margins and, you know, that mandate, that word that people like to use, he's on track for that. Um, but, you know, the ba the battleground states were, were and are squeakers. Uh, and, and as you say, in our region, uh, it's not, you know, it, for many people who did not vote for Donald Trump, it's it's not beyond worth discussing why we are so divided. We have to talk about uh, what it is that divides us, immigration, race and protest, obviously even the response to COVID, uh, wearing a mask became an issue of division. What is it about these issues that divides us? And rather than, uh, uh, you know, seeing one another as the enemy, we have to come to the table and have a conversation. And I certainly heard uh, the pain and emotion, uh, and, and I've heard it in many conversations I've had with friends and family around uh, the, the, the issue of the Trump presidency and respect it. Uh, but certainly for those in Washington, like Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and everyone who will be in their administration, uh, the work to be done is to bring us back together as a nation. Listeners, it's a Sunday morning call in this hour on WNYC. Brian Lehrer and Jamie Floyd with you. Keep calling us 646-435-7280. How are you feeling the morning after the election was called for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris what is your mix of emotions from exhilaration to ambivalence to relief to wariness, whatever it is from any side of any aisle, 646-435-7280, 646-435-7280, and we'll continue after this. I'm a proud Democrat. But I will govern as an American president. I'll work as hard for those who didn't vote for me as those who did. Let this grim era of demonization in America begin to end here and now.
The refusal of Democrats and Republicans to cooperate with one another. It's not some mysterious force beyond our control. It's a decision, a choice we make. And if we can decide not to cooperate, then we can decide to cooperate. And I believe that this is part of the mandate given to us from the American people. They want us to cooperate. There's the challenge for Joe Biden as he lays it out for himself. Can he get people? And he even said it to to people on his side of the aisle, right? Can I get Democrats and Republicans to cooperate? Mayotte in somewhere in New York City or on WNYC. Hi, Mayotte. Uh, good morning. Good day to the beloved radio family. Thank you so much, Brian, for this show, and I hope it continues because we need to to express ourselves, especially now. Three quick points. To Representative Spanberger, we must have a nuanced conversation. Camden, New Jersey had a corrupt, abusive police department. They shut it down and redesigned it. And present time, Austin, Texas. When you played the clip from um, uh, Vice President-elect Kamala, it gave me a positive point, and that is, um, and I hope you, you'll, you'll find it, when uh, uh, President-elect uh, Biden said, expressed his debt to black people, to African Americans, and that we would be at the front of the line. And he specifically spoke of systemic racism, which both uh, Trump and Pence dismissed. My last point is we, all these questions that Jamie was just asking are so crucial. But until we look at fully how we have in one of the two corporate parties, a racialized party for decades now. And until we look at the very idea of whiteness and of race, and until we deal with it being a status quo with no biological and scientific basis. Now, what comes from being racialized, we'll have to deal with. But until we unpack that, we're not moving forward. Because when the evangelicals understand that their whiteness is an arbitrary designation, that will be a revolution in itself. And thank you so much. And I hope this conversation continues. Maya, thank you. And I hope you continue to be part of it. And here's that clip that she was referring to um, with respect to Joe Biden and of Kamala Harris thanked all kinds of women from over American history on whose shoulders she stood. If she thanked the poll workers in the earlier clip we played, Joe Biden thanked people too and singled some out. Especially for those moments when this campaign was at its lowest ebb, the African-American community stood up again for me. You've always had my back, and I'll have yours. I said at the outset, I wanted to represent this campaign to represent and look like America. We've done that. Now that's what I want the administration to look like and act like. For all those of you who voted for President Trump, I understand the disappointment tonight. I've lost a couple times myself, but now, 
Let's give each other a chance. It's time to put away the harsh rhetoric, lower the temperature, see each other again, listen to each other again. And to make progress, we have to stop treating our opponents as our enemies. They are not our enemies. They are Americans. And so now we've heard in just the last couple of minutes, in case you didn't watch the speech last night, two long stretches of reaching out, sentence after sentence of reaching out by Joe Biden, two long, two long stretches in one short speech. Uh, but, Jamie, that stretch started with him thanking especially African-Americans. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy to forget with all that has come since that he didn't do well in Iowa. He didn't do well in New Hampshire. He was on the brink, really, in the primaries. And then with Congressman Jim Clyburn and yes. so many black voters in South Carolina, boom, three days before Super Tuesday, um, he rocked the South Carolina primary, largely because of very significant African-American support. And then, then poof, it was inevitable. Three days later, it was like nobody else of those 23 people was in the race anymore. Right. And now the and, and several of them African-American. And now the question is, uh, and I'm thinking, of course, of Kamala, who is now the vice president elect. And I'm thinking of Cory Booker. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, Stacey Abrams, who many people wanted to be in the race. Uh, and many people today are crediting uh, with uh, the and she so rightly deserves it. We can talk more about it if you'd like uh, with the get out the vote effort and and the empowerment of the African-American vote in Georgia after her loss uh, to now Governor Kemp in Georgia. Uh, But she is fundamental on the ground there in Georgia. And many people wanted her to be uh, either on the ticket or in the race uh, for the presidency. But uh, the question now, Brian, is what will Joe Biden do once he gets into office? What will Joe Biden do? Let's go to Teresa in the new capital of the United States, Scranton, Pennsylvania. Teresa, you're on (laughs) on WNYC. Hello from New York. Hi, hi. Um, So I told your screener, I'm, you know, I'm very concerned about moving forward, seeing how, you know, you, you wake up in the morning and you go on Twitter and Facebook, and a lot of my more conservative friends are moving to different social media outlets like Parler, um, where they feel like they're not getting a filtered um, or liberally skewed, you know, access to media. And I just, seeing that scares me so much because they're already labeling, you know, this is a liberal news outlet, this one is conservative, this one is whatever. So how are we going to reach people when they just retreat so far into a bubble and I think this goes on both sides. You know, I voted for Joe Biden, but, you know, I, I know my newsfeed kind of turns into a lot of sources that are skewed towards me. So, but when you're retreating to something like Parler, mm-hmm. you know, or you don't listen to any other news sources, how are we supposed to come together, you know, to even open up a discourse? Mm-hmm. If we had the answer to that, <laughs> and I think... <laughs> But that's my concern waking up the next day. You know, I think Joe Biden or whoever won the presidency, it just seems like no one wants to even entertain a conversation 
with someone who thinks differently than they do. Yeah, Teresa, thank you. And that's the challenge for Joe Biden, uh, as we've already talked about this hour, because his rhetoric is so different from the us against them rhetoric of Donald Trump. And we'll Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. see how he experiences the political tensions that come with that over policy once he's in office. But as far as media, Jamie, you know, I think there we know that there are algorithms, you know, with social media sites that kind of do funnel you deeper and deeper into your um, into your bubbles because it gives you what it thinks you want. Right. We know that there are commercial pressures on the cable channels, et cetera, uh, to find their niche and cater to that niche. And it, uh, it certainly falls to people in us in public radio, among others, mm-hmm. to try to be people of good faith and right. reach out to, you know, all sectors of the population. So the question she raises or the point she raises is we could do a, an hour or two hour program on that alone. And a it's uh, it's a Ph.D. dissertation. I mean, there's so much packed in there. There's the social media conversation. There's the media media conversation in in over the summer. Brian Fox News was the highest rated television channel in prime time, not just cable. This is among all television, meaning they outstrip CNN. MSNBC, ESPN, and the networks, ABC, CBS, NBC, they outstripped everyone for news viewership. During the protests, during the campaign, during the conventions, they were the top. And that just says something to you about why Donald Trump performed as well as he did, why Republicans performed as well as they did in this election cycle, and why we are as divided as we are as a nation. And then she's also raising the point about other conservative news outlets. There's there's OAN, of course, One American One America News Network. A lot Mm -hmm. of people get news from there. And I could go on. Mm -hmm. And then there are, of course, there's the social media issue where you go down the rabbit hole and we get all the way over to QAnon, Mm -hmm. which uh, on the media has done a number of brilliant segments about. Matt Katz is our QAnon expert in the newsroom. There are two members of Congress now have newly been elected who are QAnon uh, proponents. Uh, the president has retweeted QAnon theories. So this is a th- this is too much to deal with in one question and answer moment. Uh, but she raises a critically important point that goes to what many of the callers have raised: our increasingly segmented and divided society. And it goes to uh, the ways in which President Trump's reality has been different from. Vice President Joe Biden's reality. You know, President Trump says, well, I've had more people at this inauguration than any other president before. And Sean Spicer backs him up. But then we look at the photos and the photos don't back him up. So how is it that half the country believes him and the other half of the country doesn't? Well, half the country's watching Fox and the other half of the country isn't. And that's where we are as a nation. We got to figure that out. And I I don't have the answer. Obviously, as you said, Brian, if we had the answer, well, (laughs) well, then, right? Yeah, then we'd win the Nobel Prize. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I do want to reflect on something that, to be candid, has surprised me in the last day since the election was called. And this is Fox included, where they are on the same page as the other cable channels and the other non-cable channels uh, that I've been seeing. 
It was certainly a day that a presidential election victory got projected like mm-hmm. no other, right? Most people probably never thought much before about how it is the media who call the race, yeah. right? Yeah. The numbers crunchers at the AP and the major networks, and they all agree on the math, Fox News included, but there's never been a moment before, I don't believe, where the networks project a winner, mm-hmm. not to mention by so many electoral votes, if you look at all the states they see Biden as winning, and the candidate projected to lose declares himself to be the winner, <laughs> and they're about to go to court, they're in court, right. they're going to go to right. court more. And I was a little bit surprised, because there is an ongoing legal process, right. that the network's very much including Fox. I took a screenshot of it last night because I was mm-hmm. a little surprised. Mm-hmm. Their label on the screen, the print on the screen, when they're Chiron. talking about Joe Biden, the Chiron, right. as we say in the biz, the Chiron identifying Biden says, President-elect Joe Biden. Right. And I for Harris, Vice President-elect Joe Biden, rather than projected President and Vice President-elect uh, and so maybe you, as our legal editor, can explain a little bit about what the formal process is of declaring right. an actual winner of the election, since these projections are informal, even if generally right. accepted. Right, right. Uh, I noticed that, too. Uh, my son has this uh, studio that I'm sitting in here set up like we are in some sort of control room. We have so many screens up. <laughs> He's really into the election process. We have like so many screens. It's insanity. And we, we have Fox News as one of them. And we've been watching their evolution in the coverage of this process over the week. And I noticed the same thing, the Chiron, which is the first line on your television of text. And then the lower third is all the subheadline, if you will. So it's the headline and the subheadline, as we would call it in print. It's the Chiron in the lower third. And they did say, uh, they did indeed say president-elect Joe Biden, and clearly they had talked about behind the scenes what they were going to do. They didn't make that decision in real time, as we don't make any decision at WMYC in real time. We're thoughtful in advance about how we are going to handle big moments in news coverage. Uh, But to answer your question We try anyway, and then we we unexpected news breaks and go, oh my God, what do we do? We do our oh, best, and and I'm going to assume, and I, you know, I spent some time, by the way, at Fox in in, in the interest of full disclosure, uh, but inside, I used to say inside the Death Star uh, as as an Obama surrogate. Uh, so I know a little bit about how they work, and they do think of themselves as a real newsroom, and they have real news directors and new news editors, and they they make decisions real time and in advance as any other news organization, though very much uh, in those days ordered by Roger Ailes. Uh, so to get to the answer of your question, uh, there is no legal obligation to concede. There's no legal obligation to concede, to make a concession speech. That is a norm, not a requirement. And we know from Bush v. Gore that Al Gore uh, first was uh, conceding and then withdrew his concession And then we were in the midst of a legal battle. And Donald Trump, more than anyone, is aware of that. And we also know that Donald Trump does not respect the norms of the office. So he is not going to participate in the norms that would normally suggest that at this moment he should be preparing his concession speech 
and getting ready to concede. Uh, I have heard reporting that uh, Jared Kushner is speaking with him about those uh, possibilities and that pathway, but there's no obligation for him to do that. And in the meantime, uh, Brian, as you suggest, the Trump campaign has intensified its efforts to uh, file its legal challenges uh, across several states. And, uh, Brian, I've noted that yesterday and today, Republicans, including some newly elected members of Congress, Mm -hmm. have clearly been given the talking points, quote, count every legal ballot. That's what they're saying, count every legal ballot. That language is designed to support their litigation strategy, which casts doubt on this process, suggesting that something is illegitimate about the process, even though there is absolutely no evidence of it. And it is a disservice to our democracy to suggest that this result is not a legitimate one. There is no razor-thin margin. There is no problem with counting the ballots after Election Day. There is no evidence of anything illegitimate about the process. But that is right now their strategy. So he is mounting these multiple legal challenges. And that seems to be, at this time, their strategy going forward. Jay Sekulow and Rudy Giuliani have said that he has no plans to concede. And he has no legal obligation to do that. Uh, Your question, Brian, uh, the date on which this thing has to be certified, December 14th. I mean, I'm so sorry. Yes, December 14th. That's correct. December 14th. And obviously, Inauguration Day, January 20th, is the day he needs to leave. And just so people know how far this is going, at least among Trump's supporters, because I'm I'm on all these lists, right, because of what I do. So one (laughs) one of the emails that went out from the Trump campaign, this is a fundraising email, to people who they still want to raise money from, uh, even though the election is presumably over, but there are these legal battles ahead. And so the subject line of this email is 270. And -hmm. the first line is, if you count the legal votes, I easily win the election. If you count the illegal and late votes, the radical left can steal this election from us. And I just want to, I don't want to dwell on it, but I want to, you know, put a, put a spotlight on it for just a second. Trump is sending out emails that say, if you count the legal votes, I easily win the election. Right. So there it is. Right. That's precisely what I'm saying. So this strategy that he's got going on, this legal strategy is more of a political misinformation strategy, in my humble opinion. Mayudi in Suffolk, you're on WNYC. Thank you for calling in. Hey, Brian, uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I love your show. I just want to, uh, uh, you know, refer to the comment you made uh, minutes ago about uh, Suffolk and NASA and all the neighboring counties going to Republican or voting in large numbers. Yes, and just, just, just to be clear, and for people who uh, didn't hear it, um, according to the New York Times election results map with 88% of the votes counted as of yesterday, Nassau County, which I'm pretty sure went for Clinton last time and has been going for Democrats generally, went by a hair for Trump, just over 50 percent. Nassau County, Suffolk County, which did go for Trump last time, went for Trump again. Rockland County went for Trump. Westchester went for Biden uh, among the, the inner New York City um, suburbs in New York State. All of nearby Connecticut went to Biden. All the nearby New Jersey counties 
went to Biden, but Nassau, Suffolk, Rockland went to Trump. And so Mayuri's in Suffolk, and Mayuri just wanted to give people that context. Go ahead. Okay. Anyway, I'm a registered Democrat. I live in Suffolk County, and I uh, I just wanted to point out that uh, Suffolk and I thought Nassau all included also have generally been Republicans, not unique to this election. Even last election, Suffolk was uh, Lee Zeldin as our uh, Congress rep, and he won handsome with a handsome margin once again right. this year. So uh, this is, uh, I thought, it's the fact to do is uh, there's more Republicans. But overall, this election has definitely been a referendum on one man. Donald Trump, mm-hmm. and uh, that is at, that is at the core of everything. This election is definitely historic in one sense. I don't think in American history we have had such a close call uh, as as a referendum on one one president as this one. Uh, we have had 45 presidents, uh, Democrats and Republicans, but nobody has come close to being, uh, you know, Trump. Or even Bob Woodward says in his book, the last sentence, uh, being unfit for presidency. So this is definitely one human being. Donald Trump has made all the difference in why this election is so historic. Uh, I'm just you know, thinking of, um, uh, hypothetically, John Kasich, the ex-governor of uh, Ohio, was in the primaries for this election. He lost. I'm just wondering, had he been the president for four years, Maybe now we will be talking about a John Kasich win or victory again because he is more a centrist. He appeals now, of course, in this election, he endorsed Joe Biden, but he's a centrist. He appeals to the moderate Democrats as well. So it's all about one person who made the big difference, Donald yes. Trump. So this is definitely historic in that sense. I feel, that, you know, I personally am convinced that he was not the right person ever since he took office and he ran the, the way they ran the affairs for the last four years. Mayuri, my, my I, I hear you on all of that. I'm going to leave it there for time. And, of course, that's one analysis. If somebody like John Kasich had been the Republican president, he would have been more likely reelected as a big tent guy. But then again, when you know the way the Republicans see it quite uh, frequently is when they had more of a centrist Republican, John McCain, they lost. When they had more of a centrist Republican, uh, Mitt Romney, they lost. It was when Donald Trump came and energized the base and got them to turn out rather than shrug their shoulders in larger numbers. That's when they won and didn't win this time. Uh, but which direction for the Republican Party that they will see as more in their long-term interest definitely remains to be seen. We'll continue in a minute. This is special coverage on WNYC. I'm Brian Lehrer with WNYC legal editor and race and justice editor, Jamie Floyd, and you on the phones this hour. As you've heard, more call-ins are coming up today. There'll be a national one um, From 1A, a little later this afternoon, Kai Wright with his great show, The United States of Anxiety, coming up from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock tonight. Uh, That'll be a local call-in here on WNYC and other special coverage throughout the day, as well as all things considered at 5 o'clock. As we continue to take your calls, um, I wonder if... 
there are any first-time voters who want to call in. We're going to clear a few lines. Some of you regulars who call in a fair amount to the station um, with respect and apologies, we're going to bump you and clear some lines for some first-time voters. Who voted for the first time this week for anybody? And how did that feel? How do you feel today? 646-435-7280. 646-435-7280. If we can get some first-timers on the phones, how did it feel to vote for the first time in this of all elections? The way Mayuti, our last caller, was describing the uniqueness of this election or whatever the context is for you. First-time voters, 646-435-7280. Lori in the Florida Keys, you're on WNYC. Hello from New York, Lori. Hello, Brian. Thank you so much. And Jamie, thank you, too. Thanks for being Voices of Reason, reason during this time. Um, I'm a recent transplant down here Um I'm really concerned about how we heal after this. I'm seeing a lot of things happening. I'm from Long Island. I also lived in Manhattan for very long. So I'm wondering how we heal from this when almost 50% of my neighbors where I grew up on Long Island, um, I, I just, where do we go from here? I feel threatened physically down in South Florida, I'll say that. And I have friends who are f- threatened physically up on Long Island. This is a concern of mine. While I'm relieved of yesterday's outcome, as it should be, I'm concerned greatly. So. And thank you very much. You know, there is a, a New York Times story today, Jamie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I have it here somewhere. I'll see if I can find it. But it's about armed Trump supporters showing up at various state capitals. Now, I don't want to overstate what this is, but there are armed Trump supporters showing up to rallies, I don't know how big, in various state capitals. And we still don't know, stand back and stand by, where this is going to go over the coming days if Trump continues to send out emails like the one I cited before that said he really won the election. Yeah, it wasn't just the Times that reported it, Brian. USA Today had it, uh, U.S. News and World Report, uh, and then some regional papers, including the Charlotte Observer, the Herald. uh, And I had said on all of it earlier this week uh, that these these folks are now calling themselves uh, Protect the Vote, Protect the Vote. Uh, as if they need to come uh, to these uh, places where the vote is continuing to be counted. This started before the election was called on late Wednesday and early Thursday with, uh, you know, with their with their guns. I, I, I mean, what else with their with their weapons to protect the vote count? You know, this is a, an interesting Orwellian way of uh, calling yourself, calling your militia a, a democracy in action uh, group. And um, and and you're going to protect the vote as if something untoward is happening and state officials are not able to do the job that they are empowered to do. And uh, many poll workers and now we're now past the poll stage. We're now in the process of counting the vote uh, have been saying that they feel afraid. Those in Pennsylvania in particular 
uh, were saying that they they were concerned for their safety. So uh, I was relieved, Brian, that last night uh, things did not get out of hand. Uh, with the celebrations happening, and then on the other side of it, uh, those who support Donald Trump, many of them having weapons. So that was a relief, but I am worried about the coming days and weeks, especially if Donald Trump is going to continue to resist uh, the results and is going to send out a message that somehow the election was tainted. Sarah in Philadelphia, you're on WNYC. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Brian. Thank you for having me. First-time um, voter, I see. I just, yes, I'm a first-time voter. Um, I go to UPenn in Philly. Um, we work, I'm part of Pendems and um, on UPenn's campus. And we worked really tirelessly to sign up voters all throughout the school year last year. So I'm very happy that our um, efforts helped <laughs> in any way that they could. So, yeah. Thank you very much. Well, do you want to tell us briefly how it felt to cast that first-time vote? Um, I did a mail-in ballot. Mm-hmm. I have a question for you about that. Um, did that feel somehow less exciting than it would have been? Um, I, a lot of people, of course, chose to do the mail-in ballot for all so- sorts of reasons. But since it was your first time voting, were you... Mm, you know, a little disappointed that you couldn't have the old-fashioned experience of going to the polls and casting your vote in person. Yeah, I think it was definitely a bit scary, um, knowing that, hearing all the things about the, like, Louis DeJoy and, like, the mail um, getting slowed down. So I was kind of afraid that they wouldn't receive my ballot on time. Um, And it wasn't as satisfying, definitely, to just fill in a bubble rather than clicking on the machine going to like the arch building on UPenn's campus to, to vote and stand in those lines. Like I saw a lot of people doing, but yeah, it was still, um, I was still very happy to see that. Uh, it really came down to Philadelphia and Penn. Sarah, thank you so much. And some of these lawsuits are going to come down to Philadelphia, which we'll see what happens with over the coming days. Kefaly in Newark, you're on WNYC. Hi, Kefaly. Hi, how you doing, man? Doing all right. How you doing? Um, I just I just had a question about like uh, a lot of a lot of you guys are like unanimous about how we should come together and uh, concede certain things to the right. I just wanted to know what exactly like substantive we should concede. Is it like should we agree with them that uh, maybe the coronavirus isn't real? Should we like agree with them that uh, maybe like we should be separating families at the border or like we should be sterilizing women in ice attainment camps? Like, what exactly substantive should we, like, uh, come together and agree with them on and sing kumbaya about uh, after, like, now that the election is over? Should we maybe, like, uh, say that uh, maybe Biden didn't really win all those votes and, like, uh, maybe Trump really is still the president? Like, what exactly <laughs> should we be coming together with these people on? Fairly, I, I well, hear you. Yeah, uh, and, Jamie, well, I, I, I was just going to say if um, Joe Biden said in his speech last night, the Democrats need to reach out as well as the Republicans. But you know a lot of Democrats feel exactly like Kefaly. What exactly is the the Democratic concession that he has in mind? I don't expect you to know, but uh, this is at least a rhetorical question. Well, uh, yeah, and, and I don't even presume that Kefaly is a Democrat, right? 
Um, the uh, Gwen Hogan, one of our reporters in the newsroom, uh, has been out and about, and uh, a- a- as uh, has Sydney Pereira, and they've captured many protesters saying that they continue, plan to continue, this was before the election result was called, plan to continue to protest even if Biden was elected. And I'm sure their sentiment has not changed now that the election has been uh, called uh, because they feel that black lives uh, matter and that protest needs to continue uh, with Biden in office. They feel the Democratic Party uh, has uh, for decades taken, even when it, it flipped and became a party for Democrats and of, uh, for African-Americans and, and with African-American support, takes African-American voters for granted, as Eddie Gloud at Princeton has written so eloquently about. And so they plan to protest about that. So there's much to a demand of the party. I certainly understand his point. And Biden's probably thinking like, no Medicare for all, no national fracking ban, things like that. Climate change. So Jamie Floyd. primary issue for us all. WNYC legal editor, race and justice editor, Jamie Floyd. Great job. Thank you so much. We'll hear you you in many venues. I'm Brian Lehrer. Join me for my weekday call-in show, 10 a.m. to noon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for calling today. So much coverage still to come here on WNYC this afternoon.